David would not live to see Solomon's building, but that does not mean that he never saw the temple. Rather, before the temple existed on a mountaintop, it was seen by David in his own heart. Before it was made physically into radiant reality, it already existed within, and it was his blueprints with which Solomon was charged. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 204, The Dedication of the House of David. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In his Antiquities, Josephus describes how King Herod decided to change Jerusalem forever by expanding the Temple Mount and remaking the edifice that was the Temple itself. Knowing that this would worry his subjects, he sought to explain that his desire was to increase the beauty and size of the Temple and thereby its glory. I give you a translation of Josephus cited by the historian Martin Goodman. Quote, It was at this time, in the 18th year of his reign, after the events mentioned above, that Herod undertook an extraordinary work, namely, the reconstructing of the temple of God at his own expense, enlarging its precincts, and raising it to a more imposing height. For he believed that the accomplishment of this task would be the most notable of all the things achieved by him, as indeed it was, and would be great enough to assure his eternal remembrance. But since he knew that the populace was not prepared for or easy to enlist in so great an undertaking, he thought it best to predispose them to set to work on the whole project by making a speech to them first, and so he called them together and spoke as follows. So far as the other things achieved during my reign are concerned, my countrymen, I consider it unnecessary to speak of them, although they were of such a kind that the prestige which comes from them to me is less than the security which they have brought to you. For in the most difficult situations, I have not been unmindful of the things that might benefit you in your need, nor have I in my building been more intent upon my own invulnerability than upon that of all of you. And I think that I have, by the will of God, brought the Jewish nation to such a state of prosperity as it has never known before. Now, as for the various buildings which we have erected in our country and in the cities of our land and in those of acquired territories, with which, as the most beautiful adornment, we have embellished our nation, it seems to me quite needless to speak of them to you, knowing them as you do. But that the enterprise which I now propose to undertake is the most pious and beautiful one of our time, I will now make clear. For this was the temple which our fathers built to the most great God after their return from Babylon, but it lacks 60 cubits in height, the amount by which the first temple built by Solomon exceeded it. And yet, no one should condemn our fathers for neglecting their pious duty, for it was not their fault that this temple is smaller. Rather, it was Cyrus and Darius, the son of Histapes, who prescribed these dimensions for building, and since our fathers were subject to them and their descendants and after them to the Macedonians, they had no opportunity to restore this archetype of piety to its former size, end quote. In other words, Herod wished to make the temple taller, larger, and more beautiful. In the end, the king not only remade the actual temple, he also expanded the mount itself. The original entirety of the temple mount from the age of Solomon had been a square of 500 by 500 cubits. And though this had been slightly expanded in the Hasmonean age, Herod made it much, much larger, giving us what the archaeologist Lean Rittmeyer called, quote, the largest man-made platform in the ancient world, the size of 24 football fields, nearly 145 acres, end quote. Reflecting on the end result, the rabbis were moved to remark that while Herod was a brutal ruler, he was a brilliant builder. Thus, the Talmud further comments that those who did not see what this king had created, lo ra'ab binyan na'ami amav, never saw a truly stunning building in their lives. And yet, the rabbis simultaneously insisted that the sublime holiness that adhered to this site was entirely due to another king, a king who never built the temple, but who devoutly dreamed of it, designed it, and endowed it with a sanctity that remains to this day. 
The 30th Psalm begins with an intriguing introduction. Mizmor Shir Chanukat Abayat David, A psalm, a song, for the dedication of the house, from David. It continues. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye pious ones of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. Let us review what the psalm seems to be telling us, for several questions immediately present themselves. First, we are told that the psalm was written in honor of the dedication of the house. But which house? That is not made clear. Moreover, David further seems to inform us that he suffered terrible despair, mourning, from which he was brought out, healed by the Almighty. Thus the psalm begins, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. And toward the end of the psalm, David declaims, Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. What is this despair and mourning that was suddenly transformed into joy? And in what way is this connected to the dedication of the house? There are exegetes that suggest that this psalm was composed for the inauguration of David's personal palace. That is the house to which the psalm refers. But the explanation that seems more reasonable to me is that the house that David describes is the temple itself. Therefore, if David is referring to his initial depression, it is, and I believe others suggest this as well, because his dream of physically building the temple and seeing it come into being was denied. If we look at other psalms, we see that being in the house of God is all that David desires. Thus, Psalm 27, One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to visit in his sanctuary. Thus, and I believe this has been previously suggested, perhaps David's sadness lay in the fact that this dream would not be achieved. God informed him that his son Solomon, not he, would build the temple. David would never visit this sanctuary. But if David ultimately emerged from mourning to joy, it was perhaps because he came to understand that ultimately everything about the temple, everything that would define the temple, would come from him. In historical terms, we tend to refer to the first temple as the Temple of Solomon, but the truth is that Solomon, who was one of the wisest and most creative men in history, actually had no architectural or intellectual or artistic role in the creation of the actual temple itself. That was all from David. That was all from his dream, his divinely inspired design. Thus, the book of Chronicles tells us that David, before his death, brought the young Solomon before him, explained why God had denied him his own dream of physically building the temple, charged his son Solomon with making his dream a reality, And then, Chronicles goes on to tell us, David showed his son how every aspect of the temple had already been painstakingly planned out. Chronicles tells us, Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the temple, its buildings, its storerooms, its upper parts, its inner rooms, and the place of atonement. He gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms for the treasuries of the temple of God and for the treasuries of the dedicated things. Solomon, apparently, 
used little of his own creative capacities in bringing this edifice into reality. All was as David had foreseen, determined, designed. We can therefore understand why David would write a psalm for the inauguration of a temple that he would not physically see built in his lifetime. David would not live to see Solomon's building, but that does not mean that he never saw the temple. Rather, before the temple existed on a mountaintop, it was seen by David in his own heart. Before it was made physically into radiant reality, it already existed within, and it was his blueprints with which Solomon was charged. This means that if Solomon had deviated, if, say, he had made the Temple Mount with different dimensions, the sanctity of the temple would not have appropriately applied. David created the initial sanctity, projected it onto the space. Solomon gave physical expression to that sanctity. What this means, as Rabbi Joseph Soloveitchik has noted, is that the temple existed as a metaphysical reality in David's soul before it emerged in Solomon's era into physical concreteness. And indeed, it was the vision of David's soul that was mapped out onto and imbued sanctity into the physical building that Solomon brought into being. Thus, even though Herod vastly expanded the Temple Mount Plaza, for the rabbis, it was only the original area designed by David that remained the most sacred sphere endowed with an eternal holiness, a holiness that existed before Herod rebuilt the area and which would not disappear when Herod's building was destroyed. Tractate Midot, the Talmudic code written by the rabbis long after Herod, declares that Harabayat Chameshmeot Amah al Chameshmeot Amah, the Temple Mount, is halachically 500 cubits by 500 cubits. This was written long after the Herodian expansion. But while Herod had expanded the physical Temple Mount, for the rabbis, the official sanctity of David's blueprint remains. The message, perhaps, is that while Herod's plaza may indeed have been beautiful, the truest beauty was the holiness of David's vision laid upon the Temple Mount. David composed a psalm for the dedication of the temple even though he would not live to see it built because he knew that the temple would be his temple. And no matter what beauty future kings would add to the mount, the truest beauty would be the holiness that David found in it and which he gave to it. An intriguing verse in the 29th Psalm tells us the following. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The phrase Hadrat Kodesh, beauty of holiness, is a fascinating one. And it allows us to understand what set Judea apart from the classical culture that inspired Herod. As Rabbi Jonathan Sachs put it, quote, The Greeks believed in the holiness of beauty. Jews believe in Hadrat Kodesh, the beauty of holiness. Not art for art's sake, but art as a disclosure of the ultimate artistry of the Creator. End quote. David's designs came from a desire to draw all Israel to the beauty of holiness. And that is why it is David to whom the temple will forever be ascribed. To this day, we mourn the terrible destruction in 70 CE of the beautiful building that adorned the Temple Mount. But we also believe that while the edifice created by Herod was destroyed, the holiness endowed upon the mount by the blueprints of David will never disappear. That is why we look longingly and lovingly at that site still until the day when David's psalm dedicating the house of God will be sung atop the mount once again. This is Mayor Soloveitchik looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.